when I want to really build up the confidence level, let my people know that I trust them. In order to truly trust someone, I've given them the freedom or the, the opportunity to succeed, which has to include the opportunity to fail. Unleashing your best in life and work. This is the Game Changers with Eric Bowles and host Dale Dixon. Unleashing your best in life and work by leading with trust. Dale Dixon here, your host of the Game Changers podcast, along with Eric Bowles. Eric, great to see you. Great to and see you, my friend. For folks who are just joining us, prob- probably for the first time, as our listenership is growing so fast, um, we're two guys who really geek out on leadership. At least I'll speak for myself on that, and I'm seeing you smile and, and nod your head. Yeah, my uh, as wife we would do tell that. you the same. I geek out all the time on leadership. <laughs> So Eric's background is he coaches, trains, and inspires leaders to unleash their best in life and work. His company is called The Game Changers, Inc. His book is right there. It's called Moving to Great. Um, I, once again, I love this idea of helping people grow their leadership skills. I'm an author, a podcaster, and I speak on communication. So the two of us just get together and have fun for 20 to 30 minutes helping your drive to work be better each and every week. So today we're diving into this idea of trust. And I I started before we hit the record button by saying, okay, what's happened in the last five days of your life, Eric, that is uh, we need to talk about. And you immediately go to this idea of trust. And let's start off by what have you seen and what are you seeing? And we talk about the dramatic changes that we're experiencing constantly, this rapid rate of change and how leaders are having to adjust. And it really works well to make the adjustments when the people around you have extreme levels of trust. You know, I, uh, the example I was sharing with you, Dale, that I've experienced recently was a leader who came from uh, who had a lot of success at the previous stop. And part of that individual's success was, I mean, they saw the situation, they knew the uh, variables that were involved. Uh, I would say they had a pretty uh, uh, junior group of leaders that they work with. And now junior doesn't mean lack of talent. It just means in terms of their age and experience, even though it's a very high level uh, um, uh, industry and, and it, where it takes a lot of competency, it was still one of those, you do this, you do this, here's what we're going to do type environment. He was incredibly successful at that. He then moves to a different role because of that success, and he's in high demand. He goes to a different role, same company. But he went into an environment where it was very different, that the currency of that group, the new group he was going on, was completely found in trust. Now, when I talk about trust, let me define it. There's a com- couple of components of trust, but I can trust your character, right? Um, but I may not trust your competency. So I trust your character, but I might not trust your judgment. Okay. okay. Now that has, that, again, that's not a character flaw. That just means sometimes we need a little more time to be able to see people's decision-making, seeing how they do. It. And then now do I trust your judgment? But if I don't trust your judgment, I will have a tendency to want to control a little more, guide, direct a little more. Well, that's great with people who are just coming in or a little more junior or whatever. And this is different from being clear. Right? Like it's one thing I need to be clear. But what ended up happening, he goes into a new role where what the people simply need to know is what your intent is. 
And this is what we call commander's intent. I don't need the instruction of how to make it happen. I just want to get clarity on what your intent is. That was a new challenge for him because, you know, now he has to function with very talented individuals. And the minute you start giving, you know, tactical or detailed instruction, it's in them to naturally push back. Because the first thing they want to say is, and rightfully so, is you're new here. You're already trying to change things that you're not even aware. Now, keep this in mind. We we understand that. I know the new, but there's a lot of nuance on this. So whoever's listening, understand the nuance of this. Anyone who comes in and begins to um, start giving recommendations of things that can change, but you haven't done a really good assessment of why things were being done a certain way in the first place, is always going to get pushed back, especially when the people you're coming in are pros. The, uh, I, the way I would give an analogy is he's an unbelievable conductor who left a really great orchestra that he built up and made phenomenal. But then he moved to a new role. And the new role is he's a conductor who just joined five or six of the baddest cats in the world in jazz. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now, man, you do not come into a group of jazz musicians who are that accomplished and start trying to dictate what they do. A lot of what they do, they got the fundamentals down, but there's a lot of nuance. There's a lot. So how you go into that role, you probably want to come in there learning. You probably want to go come in there asking questions, really getting an insight, understanding the why, how they function, which is not his normal because he's never had to do it this way. So he has to start establishing a new daily habit, which is so different than before. And he was looking at me he was like, well, Eric, I just need to know this and this and this and this. I said, I hear that. But what you're, what's being screamed really loud is you don't trust them. However, you want to define it, but that's how it's being received. And so it's, I believe it was uh, Stephen Covey, uh, um, Stephen Covey, and it's actually Stephen Covey senior's son. Uh, so yeah, Stephen Covey. Yeah, yes. And so Stephen, uh, uh, he, he calls it the speed of trust. And, uh, you know, and right, which is another way of like the, uh, the, the slothfulness of distrust, right? <laughs> right? Like the, if you don't have trust, you can't move fast. And, and so anyhow, that has been something I've been immersed in. And it's easy to say simple things like, oh, you just got to trust your people more or whatever uh, else. Uh, but there's a lot of nuance to it. And, and, and I, I empathize with them in one way. But the other challenges compound that with a need to, at a, at a, a deep level, have an impact. Like he wants to have an impact. Well, when you're working with l- the leaders like this, it's not your impact that matters. It's enabling them to even make their impact greater. And if you, the only way to do that is actually trust them more, not less. And, and, and he was like, well, I need some time. I said, man, actually, it's the opposite. You have to give trust away. And so you're going to have to give it away until you get information or evidence that it was a bad investment. You need to give it up first, especially when you come into an environment with really talented individuals. So I'm... I'd love to break this down, and I'm thinking about um, two leadership approaches: command and control versus in um, versus context, setting the context. And and you use that term, commander's intent, which almost is mixing this. And I'm wondering if you have a leader, and I think it's human nature. So I'm preaching 
to myself on this one, but from a leadership perspective, it's so important for leaders to stay strategically focused, but it's really easy to get sucked down into the tactical and the difference between the two. So how do you, because what I heard in that story was that he was coming in to this group who was extremely high performing at the tactical and he wanted to get in the mix with them, which it tends to be human nature, especially when somebody's really doing well, you want to get in there and play the game, right? Um, And if you're in a leadership position, uh, it's not about bringing the command and control. It's about setting the context and helping that group continue to leverage its resources, but looking at it from a strategic standpoint. So I think that strategy versus tactics, command and control versus context gives us a great starting point to dive in and say, number one, know yourself as a leader and where you where are your skills needed with this group? And, um, and number two, how do you start to let go in order to go up? Man, that is the, that's the challenge, right? It is it's for a leader who's going from, I, I, I like to say it this way. Uh, most of us, almost all of us, we've been rewarded, whether that reward is in our compensation the reward has been in our promotion. Uh, the reward has been in greater influence uh, based on where we were or what we were doing. So if I was an indiv- incredible individual contributor or very good with a small particular team, what we have a tendency to do is not really ask deeper questions like, why was I successful at that in the first place? So, you know, I, I go from... in. in and being honest, I, I say this all the time if we're using sports analogy, being a wide receiver like I was, it's a very individual driven position. It's very different. Like I don't necessarily have to spend a whole lot of time worrying about the other ones on my team. I got to run my route right. I got to do it. But we typically get the reputation of individuals who are way out there. They just want the ball. And if they get it, they're happy. If they don't get it, they're they're complaining, which, you know, if you look at the evidence, Kind of accurate. (laughs) Okay. Um, But the challenge is when you go from being an individual contributor, you say, I went from a really good individual ball player, then I get promoted. And now I'm no longer a contributor. I went from a ball player to now a coach. My ability to want to manage how the other receivers come in or the positions by doing it myself is high. So being able to step back and allow them to understand the direction we're going, the intent we're going, but also giving them room to have their own signature or involvement in it, actually doing plays that allow them to be at their best versus doing it the way that I believe the ideal is, even if it means they, in some cases, diminishing their effectiveness because I wanted it done in the way that I think is the right way to do it. People don't understand how difficult that moment is. Because that's a trust issue. That's a trust not only in them, but it's also, do I trust myself enough to let go? Can, can I can I step away and understand, you know, this is what I'm looking for, but I'm going to just assume right from the beginning, the kind of trust I'm giving you is that I'm giving you the kind of trust where my intention is going to be done. So I'm stepping away and letting you figure out that, figure that out. And the reason is also the other added benefit that, that Dale is the the development that happens. I, I have rarely seen anyone be given trust by a leader 
and intentionally people walk away and violate it. It's actually the opposite. Most of the time people think, man, if you tell me, you look me in my eye and you tell me, hey, this is what I need, but I trust you in figuring this out. I trust that you're going to do it. I'm done. And then step away. I don't sit there and go, oh, good. I'm going to fully take advantage of this. I'm just going to do anything I want. No, it's the opposite. You actually, there's something on the inside of you that wants to reward the other person with the fact that they gave them trust. It's a subtle thing, but it's powerful. But because it speaks like you trust me, the opposite is also true. The more I have a leader nitpick and watch everything, it tells me you literally, it feels like you do not believe I know what I'm doing. Are you questioning my competency? And, and when I, when I had a particular leader here like, Eric, uh, uh, how does trust grow? And I, I said, trust grows from uh, one way it, it grows is from the exchange of information. And the more vulnerable the information that's exchanged, the greater the level of trust goes up. There's nothing more vulnerable that my leader or my boss could do for me, which is tell me the intent and then trust me that I can go and make it happen. That's vulnerable on their part because they're risking whatever we're going after on me. So it's a shared dynamic. I tell leaders all the time, I'm not telling you to be foolish. I'm not telling you not to be aware of what your folks can do. But they should feel a weight of responsibility because the amount of trust you give over to them, not the opposite. That makes any sense. Absolutely. So I'm hearing this really starts with extreme levels of self-awareness on the leader's part to know where those nuances are between uh, that you just described. Mm -hmm. And then to, I think the, the follow-up and, and, to find a level of peace in turning loose is to remember to inspect what we expect. That's it. That's it. Uh, I, I had a, you know, trusting individuals or delegating uh, doesn't mean complete absolving of responsibility. I'm going to leave it and not pay attention to it again. Uh, now that's, you know, beneficial. Some people are that extreme and it's working, but typically we do. But this is what you, this is why meetings and updates increase in value. When I'm trusting you and then we have our one-on-one, when I'm trusting you and then once a week we have our team meeting, those team meetings should be of greater value because the leaders coming in being updated on not the, they know the direction. Here's the direction I want to go. Here's the intention. And I keep clarifying that. But you're the ones out there doing the work, seeing if we're closing the gap or not, finding ways to adjust. And the reason I, 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 you know, trust has to be at this level when we talk about context and intent, the world's changing too fast. The variables out there are changing too fast. If you don't have clarity of intention, and more importantly, if you don't have the authority to adapt and adjust right where you're at with that kind of, I trust you enough to know you will make the adjustment, you're on the field. You're going to have to make plays. You're going to have to, look, I tried this. We're going to have to course correct. Many times trust grows. My trust in you is not that you're perfect. Like you said before, perfection is the, is the biggest hindrance to progression, right? It's not that you're, going to, you're not going to make mistakes. My trust level is that you're going to figure it out that you're going to adjust even faster, that you're going to course correct. And while you're course correcting, hopefully, more more likely, the very people you're leading is going to get developed because it has to. But all of that happens under the umbrella of trust, 
when a leader actually trusts, it is what I, I would say trust in that the, the dynamic of trust is one of the greatest development tools that you can be given. Everybody believes development happens when we come together and we get a really good leadership development strategy and we put it in place and here's the things we want our people to do and here's the, a great playbook, man. That's a great playbook. Okay. All those things are good, right? But the real development and work is the nuance on the inside of it. We got this great playbook, but you're not letting any of your people call a play, right? Like you're kind of controlling the play. You're watching every detail. They, they, they spend more time focused on or, or looking over their shoulder or wondering what their boss thinks than playing the game itself. The game's hard enough. So you want to equip them. Trust them enough where they can not only trust in making the plays. I think this is a subtle thing, Dale. But as you do that, they will learn to trust themselves more, which is what you're after. I'm not talking about ego or arrogance or unlearning. I'm just saying there, there's a level of trust they will grow in you and in themselves uh, that, that really make everybody, everything speeds up, as Covey would say. The, 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 everything, the, the success in our, our, in our goals, time gets collapsed. We actually get more done. So if we break this down and talk about some of the specific activities that leaders need to engage in order to build trust, I hear number one, uh, that they have to extend trust first when they're, and, and you set the stage. It's when they're coming into a high performing team and there are established roles and established competence, yes. they've got to see that, see the evidence, and then give trust and extend trust. And then I think a great opportunity for a leader to continue to build trust is to celebrate the wins. So when they set intent and create context and people achieve, there needs to be celebration around that. And then when mistakes are made and goals aren't hit, that we see it as a learning opportunity and learn from it and not, um, embarrass somebody or make them feel less than when you're dealing with these high, high performing teams, what do we learn and how do we move on and continue moving the ball down the field? Dale, that is so good. We trust is one of those things that sometimes that it takes far more time to build it in comparison to how quickly you can lose it or how quickly you can destroy it. So how leaders respond to mistakes how leaders respond to setbacks is everything. And so we need to celebrate our wins, no question. But I will also say, Dale, we need to celebrate our attempts as well. When I want to really build up the confidence level, let my people know that I trust them. In order to truly trust someone, I've given them the freedom or the, the opportunity to succeed, which has to include the opportunity to fail. And so how I respond to those failures has a huge influence on the trust that exists in the group. You show me a high trusting environment. I show you an environment where the fear of failure is low. They, nobody's excited to fail. Nobody wants to fail, but everybody understands failure is part of the process. You, I show you an environment where it's command and control or super tight. I tell you, that's an environment where the fear of failure is high. And so what you're not getting is people's best. What you're getting is people's safe. Let me say that again. What you're getting not is what people's best. You're getting people safe. So they're doing just enough to remain safe, right? Versus we need people making plays in this ever-changing environment we're living in. I think to 
um, a book about data by a, a doctor named Atul Gawande. And I'm, I'm spacing on the name of the book, but he talks about what happens in a healthcare situation when you acknowledge a mistake and create a safe place for it to be talked through to learn from and then make the adjustments and move forward versus the command and control where somebody makes a mistake and they get their head ripped off because of it. Um, the hospitals where you see the command and control head rip off mistakes are higher and, um, and people work really hard to hide them. So they're, they're trying to create safety, just like you said, in the area where mistakes are acknowledged and learned from, and they work to reduce them. They actually see the reductions and people are more readily willing to admit them so that they can identify them and move on, learn from them and create a better atmosphere. And I think my theory is that that would play out in every single business to your point of we need a healthy environment around how do we handle setbacks and and a, it's a leader's opportunity to really focus on creating a healthy environment around how do we handle setbacks how do we learn from it how do we move forward um and not look at it as not look at it as that opportunity to who whose head do i get to rip off today because they made a mistake that's yeah. a low trust environment <laughs> where, where blame begins to target, not responsibility. And when I say responsibility is like, yeah, I don't blame myself, but I am responsible for the adapt uh, for the adjustment. We get, get it together. I like to say it, when, when you're in an environment where we can share our mistakes, all of a sudden we truly multiply our intelligence because mm. we get to learn from others mistakes, but they're our mistake. We get to collectively work on together in the speed of 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 our effectiveness going up the speed of our intelligence getting multiplied is so high many people right now because when we're we're in trust environments are low uh efficiency goes out the window um uh, ability to uh, you know really meet the, and exceed the customer's expectation is out the window um because again i said before the the game itself is hard enough so if i'm spending all my time avoiding mistakes or more importantly hiding them you know now we're really struggling and so dale one of the things you just got through mentioning using the healthcare example or that analogy um i've spent many times within organizations and the way that we were able to collapse time was uh, i have one particularly i work closely with he says every every meeting now. This is part of their um, weekly, and then it's also part of their quarterly uh, meeting agenda. Uh, he says, "Hey, I want to hear our successes, and then I want to hear what are we learning." And and when I say what are we learning, that's connected to what are the mistakes you've made, what are the mistakes we've made that we need to deal with. Now, what's powerful about this? He demands them. So now there's this expectation of if you haven't made any mistakes or had any setbacks, he goes, then you're not playing the game the right way. We need you pushing it. And as a result, their meetings, even people's desire to be part of the meetings has skyrocketed 
because every every meeting is a learning opportunity now. Now we're just not coming together reporting out on what we're doing. We're reporting out on what we're learning, which is far more important. And so people are bringing their mistakes and they're bringing them early. They're bringing them while they're still in the middle of it. They're bringing them in, not after they found a way to kind of uh, find a new way to articulate it where it doesn't sound all bad. No, you have to give it transparent, the raw facts of it. And they are able to all learn from it and collect their minds together and go through it. I mean, and, and it's so significant that people are, everybody's wanted, everybody's drawn to, they're wanting to be on this particular team. And it wasn't always the case. It was a change in the leader. And this is one of the things I've tell to everyone out there who's, who's leading in this. The environment that has to do with high levels of, if there's a strong fear of failure, I ask leaders to, first of all, check their cells first, looking the mirror first. It is hard to separate or create an environment around you. That's not consistent with who you are. Teams take on the personality of their coaches. Team organizations take on the personality of their leaders. So if there's a strong fear of failure that exists in leadership, it will permeate through the rest of the organization. As my father used to say as an old school preacher, if it's cloudy in the pulpit, it's raining in the congregation. <laughs> right, right? <laughs> and so I always ask leaders, man, check yourself. Deal with, what fears do you have? What failures have you? What do you hold on to? We got to get used to it. So we need our leaders willing to go first. So you, a leader starts off the meeting and said, hey, this is what's gone well for me. Let me tell you what I'm battling with right now. The mistake I've kind of made, I'm kind of looking at, and it just opens up the floodgates. And all of a sudden, these meetings become just... Um, what 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 do we call it, uh, um, uh, Dale? You you know like think think tanks. All of a sudden, our team becomes this think tank with real life problems we're dealing with every day. It's the collective intelligence that you yeah. mentioned earlier. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, hopefully we have uh, given our listeners something to think on, chew on, and actually do when they get into the office, work with their teams over the course of this week. We thank you so much for investing this time with the Game Changers podcast. You can find more about Eric and his work with businesses at thegamechangersinc.com. That's the website. And uh, I'm sure you can find Eric on the socials. You're on LinkedIn. Um, Look him up and um, make sure and check out the website. He coaches, trains, and inspires leaders to unleash their potential and the potential of those around them. Eric, such a great conversation with you today. Have a fantastic week. Uh, You too, Dale. Looking forward to our next one. And if you haven't done so already, make sure and um, like and subscribe to this podcast. We would appreciate it on whatever podcast listening app you use. We would really appreciate a five-star rating from you. And if you could just write out a few words about how this podcast impacts you and your style of leadership, um, that would be a huge help in letting other people know how to find this podcast and definitely share the link. With that, this is The Game Changers, unleashing your best in life and work. Have a fantastic week. The Game Changers, unleashing your best in life and work with Eric Bowles and Dale Dixon. Eric is an executive coach, leadership expert, change consultant, and keynote speaker. Read his book, Moving to Great, and find him at ericbowles.com. Connect with Dale at daledixonmedia.com.